The hosts for The Art of Aging will be recording via Zoom until it is safe to return to the studio. The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging. Information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Hi, Beth. Today, we're going to do three segments on how art can bring joy to the lives of people who are living with dementia. Yes, John. United Church Homes has been involved in Opening Minds Through Art, or OMA, for about five years. And as someone personally involved with United Church Homes leadership, I have to emphasize how important OMA is for the relatives who see the impact this program is having on their family members. So we begin today with a conversation with Elizabeth Logan from the Miami University Scripps Gerontology Center about how she started the OMA program 13 years ago. Can you just tell me about how you came up with the idea and how it developed? As an educator, you, you look at the population, you say, they're bored. So a lot of the time, these activities, arts and crafts or macaroni art or whatever that people do, is it's all small pieces and it's preschool-like and people know that. So then they sort of just fall asleep and become quiet and their world becomes smaller and smaller. Then I started thinking, how are people working with people with, living with dementia? So then I start looking at the literature and I found people that are working in the field of the arts and dementia. And I said, hey, I have two bachelor's degrees in art. I started looking for internships where I could learn more about this. So the first internship I went to is in Milwaukee uh, because Ann Basting, she's the founder of Time Slips, which is creative storytelling for people living with dementia. They look at a photograph and they make up imaginary stories about the photograph and they don't have to recall anything. So it's not about memory, it's about imagination. And then I went to Amsterdam because in Holland, they have much more progressive programming for people living with dementia. So I spent a summer in, in the Netherlands, again, doing the same thing. So all of this experiences in the field led me to believe that art is a way to connect. And as a grad student, I wrote a thesis and I called it Opening Minds to Art or OMA. I just asked a local nursing home here, would you let me try this? And I couldn't run the whole program by myself because they're like typically six, eight elders in the same common space and I was alone. So I then I started recruiting um, my husband and friend who was retired art teacher. And at first it was just the three of us, my husband and this one friend. So then I debriefed with them, how did it go? What should we do differently? Well, how could we improve this? And what I was learning is that my husband and this friend were gaining a whole lot of positive experiences from doing it. Not only were we able to do a better job at serving the elders, but they were gaining life experiences that they didn't know before. And it's a very rich conversation. So that's when I thought, this is something we should bring to Miami students. Then it became an intergenerational program. 
So that's how it began. And then now the program has been replicated in about 200 different communities around the country and also in Canada. But that's how it started. How did the residents react when you were initiating art projects with them? The typical response initially is, I'm not an artist. I can't do this. I can't even draw a straight line. I can't even draw a stick figure. But we're not drawing straight lines and we're not drawing figures. So I kept saying, that's okay. We're just going to play. We're going to mix colors. We're going to use different tools. Just, just give it a shot. And if they don't, if they say no, it's fine. You can just come and watch. And they watch. Some people say yes. And the people that say no can watch. And before long, they start going in and just because the energy and the atmosphere of the whole environment, the whole room, especially when you start bringing young people and partnering them with the older people and, you know, everybody wants to come. So what impact does OMA have on the students? They start out with trepidation, anxiety, nervousness, even fear, don't know what to do, afraid of doing things wrong. But then the students understand that the person living with dementia is fully human, regardless of all the things that is damaging their brain. Their eyes light up when they see the young people come. First, they get confused, don't know how to do it. And then when they see the student that they always work with, they make these things and and they're smiling. And, and these are people living with dementia. Some of them can't even remember their name. Some can even talk. Some has food all around their clothes. and But still, these students see them as these people really taught me a lot about being human to another human. How has this happened? It's, it's because the elder knows how to connect, knows how to be social, and knows that it fulfills some basic human need to have a friend. What that means is that the person living with dementia can still teach without explicitly knowing or planning. They're actually teaching these students acceptance, love, compassion, all these things that you cannot learn in the classroom. I can't believe that she's so happy despite everything that she has to experience. She's just like my grandmother. She's a role model to me. It's not only not afraid of them, but actually appreciating them and liking them. That's what students get from it. Is there a point where OMA is not possible anymore? I mean, yes. at what point does that happen? If they can still sit up and actually hold and implement and still willing to do it, then we stay with them. But at the later stages, they can't remember their partner's name or that they've done this or that this piece of art that I created, it's me who created it. They can't even remember that, right? But at some point, they just curl up and just stop eating and all of that. Then we cannot do OMA, but we could do Threshold Choir. Threshold Choir is a singing to people on the threshold of life and death. And the songs are like lullabies and it's all spiritual about gratitude and letting go and laying your burdens down and it's very soft and very quiet and it's about making kindness audible 
because even if you're dying and you can't do anything anymore, you could still hear music, but you could see letting go and relaxing and you can see the breathing is a little bit more even. So you could still do some form of art, even all the way to the end. So the typical OMA session is over a number of weeks? Yes. And they do different projects along the way? Yes. Did you spend a lot of time figuring out, okay, now we're going to do this project, this project, this project, or the mediums are different? How did you decide what made sense? We have over 100 different projects that we've designed and piloted and tested and tweaked. So initially, it's trial and error. Things work, things didn't work. Like I tried one time, I tried clay. So they make marks on the clay. And then the next week we brought it back after it's fired and we asked them to put glaze on it. It doesn't work because they don't remember that they did that the previous week. So through trial and error, I come up with nine principles that make OMA projects work with people living with dementia. And once you figure out these are the principles, then you can design new projects based on these principles. Now, one thing I did learn observing it was that a technique is to limit the choices and then give them a choice. Yes, the, the limit the choice, not only in terms of the number, but within the choices, no matter which one they choose is gonna look good on the painting. That's how we ensure that the product in the end will be beautiful and they can be proud of it. Are your students gerontology majors? The students we get are from every major. A lot of pre-med, a lot of speech therapy, and have math and business and poli-sci, but there's also a good number that choose to do OMA because they know it builds their soft skills when they become a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or social worker. So we get a lot of those students too. Now it's been 12, 13 years. And looking back on it, this is a huge part of your life now. And you've built something that has touched so many people. What do you think when you reflect back on the program and the people you've impacted? I think what I learned from it is that initially I felt like if I have to be on a wheelchair, I think I can manage. If I, if I lose my hearing, I, I probably could manage. Or if I lose my reading ability, I could probably listen to books. You know, there are all these compensating things. I don't know what I would do if I lose my mind. I, w- I would just go. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm afraid of that. I am afraid of my husband losing his mind. What if this? What if that? I'm not afraid anymore. I feel like there's a lot that they can do. There's a lot of joy that is possible, even, even without all of this. I guess I'm, I'm learning the same thing the students are learning. I feel like I grew up a little bit more because I learned some, something so fundamental that I didn't know before. And I learned it not just in my head, but I learned it deep down that I, I'm okay. I can, I can live with that. For more information on OMA and how to become certified, go to scripsoma.org. That is S-C-R-I-P-P-S-O-M-A 
www.ucc.org. Next, Amy Cotterman, Director of Customer Relations for United Church Homes, takes us inside the OMA program at the Trinity Community in Beaver Creek, Ohio. And we meet Matthew, an OMA student volunteer, who talks about his experience working with Harold. Matthew, tell me about your experience in the OMA program. So I got in this program back in high school, my senior year, and then I came back this fall to work with Harold. Worked on 12 different projects with Harold. So I was very blessed to work with Harold, being able to come in each day, seeing his smile and his uh, happiness he got from working with Oma, but also getting to see the different projects he'd make, the different art he would try, different techniques he would use in his art, but also the stories he'd tell, which is very good to see, especially if someone with Alzheimer's. Have people in your own family also had Alzheimer's? I've had three relatives who have passed away from Alzheimer's. I've been affected from it. I've seen the causes and what it does to a person, as well as the family members and loved ones, and how that disease can affect each and every one of them. Were any of your family members able to do art? They did not do art, and I think that's what makes this program stick out a little more. It also allows the patients, in this case, the artists, to challenge their brains, as well as get interaction with other people throughout the day that they might not get without doing this program. Amy? Describe why OMA is important for residents and what the student's role is. With OMA, the importance is it's a way for that individual to still be able to express themselves and it provides dignity and respect for the individual. They can still show their artistic creations by doing this art. The student is there and is a volunteer and to provide support. They will help guide them through the process. Their role though is to more not do it for them or to tell them how to do it, but kind of to be a guide and they can do it along with them. So depending on the resident, if they are able, they will also name their project when they are done. We will display all of the artwork that the residents have created. We invite in their families or their friends and we love to have a big celebration. And many of our residents will just sit there with pride in knowing what it is that they've been able to create. And after the art show, we often have it displayed in our neighborhoods or throughout our communities. And it definitely gets a lot of attention and it really is just truly beautiful. Each week there's a different lesson or a different art preparation that you are going to try. So the staff members that have been trained to that are the ones that lead it. One of the things that we always want to be able to do is look for new opportunities for engagement for our residents that are going to provide purpose and meaning, but also how can we take it to the next level? How can we enhance that experience? And OMA has definitely been able to fulfill that for us. I would just highly encourage any community that is not involved with OMA to learn more about the program and to seek the opportunity to go and be trained. It has been a very rewarding experience for our residents. When you have that opportunity for that one-on-one -on -one engagement, so that focus is there. And sometimes for people living with dementia, it's a little bit harder to focus, but when they have that focus and they're doing what it is that they love and they're creating, it just really changes everything about that. And we had some soft music that was playing in the background. 
their eyes were lit up and they were having fun and somebody spontaneously started singing Jesus loves me and the next thing you know all of us around the table are singing Jesus loves me it eventually moved on to other songs we had a resident that got all excited and all of a sudden she loved Elvis she was like I need to hear some Elvis Presley and so we're back there and we're putting on the Elvis Presley and the staff are singing and dancing and the residents are clapping and a few of them are singing along and it was just absolute joy and smiles all around the table from everybody was there. And one of the things that I also wanted to share was in addition, there was a resident that wasn't taking part in, in that OMA class at the moment, who just so happened to be coming through that dining room space at the time. And as she came up to where everybody was, it happened to be the time that we were singing Jesus Loves Me. To be honest, this individual looked slightly a little distressed. She was a little just kind of, maybe to some people might look like she was a little on the grumpy side. She was holding her baby doll, which is something that generally provides a lot of comfort to her. But she literally stopped. She started singing Jesus Loves Me and a smile came over her face. And so I think it's just so much about the opportunities to be together, to have that engagement and to build relationships and to bring just fun and sometimes some spontaneity to everything that's happening in the neighborhood. Finally, Diane interviews Jenny who was an artist who worked with Diane's ex-husband in his home. So Jenny, you are Jenny Hack, who I know especially because uh, my family hired you to work with my friend and ex-husband, Roger, who is someone who has dementia. And my daughter's idea was that it, would, it might be a good thing for him to create some art, even though he's a physicist who's never in his life created art. And I think the time he spent with you were some of his best times. What did you see happen with Roger and how did it happen? So it was very simple. It was watercolor paper and ink. So I, you know, made the materials very comfortable for him. And he needed a lot of prompting in the beginning. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? And I was like, yeah, this is fine. So I was like a demonstrating to him what to do and so we made a ton of stuff in the beginning that was black and white but what happened was really interesting he fell in love with the pieces so the next time I would meet with him I would put them on a board and post them on a chair so that he could see his artwork from a distance and he would say Oh, I'm liking this a lot. I think he just sort of didn't think I was silly anymore, that I was indulging him, that he trusted me. And he was like, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying this without saying those words, because obviously language was deteriorating pretty fast, you know, but I could tell when he was enjoying something and when he wasn't enjoying something. Often he would see something in an image. You know, we were just doing abstract and he would say, I see a cat there. Or he would say, don't you see a bunch of people there, Jenny? Then he would just keep going. But um, I think the neatest thing was that he got in what I would call the artist's zone. It was pretty beautiful to watch. So I changed to color. And then he saw figures, he saw birds. 
And the final stage was really neat. In that stage, he was mixing colors. He didn't get mad at me. He, <laughs> he wore an apron. He had a plate. And he made this one painting, which brings me to tears. And he said, he titled it. He said, these are about three losses. And to me, that was like very moving. And I have no idea what that meant, but I know the process that we did of the painting brought him to somewhere that maybe none of us can explain what he meant about the three losses. But he was very comfortable. He was always very calm. No anxiety. Just in the moment. In our next episode, we will learn more about the Threshold Choir movement, talk to Kate Munger, its founder, and hear some of the music that Threshold Choirs sing. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.